a great station of Torah, Yivri Musar, and religious music. I trust that all of you had a happy and enjoyable Purim. And as our Hachamim tell us, on Purim, they renewed the pledge of accepting the Torah. And this time, it was not by force, but by free will, uh, through love to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, I hope that all of us get a, a new charge, a new eagerness, and renewed interest in listening to Divrei Torah and Divrei Musa. I want to speak about something, uh, one passage from Parashat Shemini. Imagine the following scenario. There was a beloved rabbi, great scholar. Everyone loved him. And he wanted to build a synagogue and followed by yeshiva. Of course, being that he was famous and a great scholar, people liked him, there was no lack of contributions. And there was enough money to build everything. And finally, after months and months of hard work and toil, they had a beautiful, sumptuous bit of Knesset. Now it was time to do the Hanukkah bit of Knesset. Obviously, it's invited all hundreds and hundreds of people, several rabbis, even political leaders sometimes that come in. And here everybody, everyone is excited and the rabbi is sitting in the middle smiling. In the middle of all this, the rabbi gets a phone call, urgent phone call. What happened? Rahmanad at Sanan. They informed him that Two of his sons, as they were coming to the celebration, they got into an accident and both were killed. Imagine the let down. Imagine the disappointment, the grief, and the sadness of this rabbi. The entire celebration was, was out of order. People were not happy anymore. They could not continue it. It was totaled, finished. Even though this is an imaginary scenario, but it's exactly what happened in the Mishkan. For months and months, people, they loved Aaron Kohen. He was the Kohen Gadol. They brought all kinds of contributions. In fact, they brought even more than they needed. And finally, finally, they built the Mishkan. It was ready for Aaron Cohen now, after seven days of training, on the eighth day now, he comes in and he wants to show the people this is the way it's going to be from now on, that the Kohanim are going to take care of the Avodah. And there was the day when Ish Yarad Minashamayim, the first time that the fire came from heaven in order to burn the Olah. First day, he blessed the people. All of a sudden, the entire picture changed. Two sons of Aaron Cohen. they brought something foreign and they were killed. 
They were killed. They died. Now, I mean, you can imagine I mean, what a big letdown that is. Again, just like the, the scenario that they mentioned before. The question is why? What did they do in order to deserve a punishment of death? Now, if you look into the Hachamim, there's many, many reasons. Many reasons. Some say because they, they walked into the Beit HaMikdash and they, were, they drank a lot of wine. You know, you're not allowed to do Avodah in the Beit HaMikdash when a person is drunk. Can't do that. Asur. Some say, well, they were not married. They had no children. Uh, they, they were too, uh, uh, you know, thinking of themselves as a nobility and all the young ladies around were not for them. Some say that there is a certain amount of garments that a Kohen must wear, and he was missing one of them, the Me'il. Others say he want, they want into the Kodesh HaKodashim, which no one's supposed to go to except the Kohen Gadol once a year on Yom Kippur. Others say, Morei Halacha Rabo, that he actually, or they actually, were ruling on halachic issues in front of their teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu. And the halacha is, kol hamorei halacha b'fnei rabo hayav mita. Person who actually rules in front of his rabbi, thus uh, uh, shaming the, the rabbi and he's answering in front of him, is hayav mita. Now, before I continue on my, I'm supposed to be talking about today, I just want to give you an example of this thing, Morei Halacha Ifnerabu. The Gemara in Masechet Berachot said, Shemuel Anavi, Shemuel Anavi, was Morei Halacha Ifnerabu. He actually ruled on something, on some halachic issue, despite the fact that Eli, a Kohen, who was his teacher, he ruled otherwise. And it's what happened over there? Well, what happened was Shemuel was a young child, a young child. And they brought a lot of korbanot. And then Eli told them, go call a Kohen in order to do the slaughtering of the sacrifices. To do shahita. Okay, so... Shemuel was a child at the time. But he sees, he says, what's going on? He says, what? They're looking for a Kohen in order to do Shehita? He says, wait a minute. What are you doing that for? Shehita bizar keshira. A non-Kohen, he can do the Shehita. You don't have to, you don't have to look for anybody. Just anyone can do the Shehita. So they brought him to Eli. Amalek, Eli said to him, Minalacha, I didn't know this. So he answered him. He says, Does it say Vishahada Kohen? It doesn't say the Kohen should slaughter. It says Vihikribuha Kohanim. They when they're bringing from when they're bringing the sacrifice on from the time that they receive a Kabbalat Adam on, 
The Kohanim must do it. But before that, which is a Shehita, Keshira Bezar, it's Keshira with someone that's not a Kohen. So he says, yeah, you know what? What you're saying is true. However, more you are ruling on a halachic issue in front of your rabbi. And deserve death. His mother, Hannah, was there at the time. She said to scream, No, no, no. Leave my son alone. Remember, I'm the one that came here and was praying very, very hard and he promised me, may they have a son. This is the one. He said, you know, let me, let me punish him. And then I will ask, pray to Akadosh He will give you another son that's even bigger than him. He says, no, I'm Ralei. I prayed for this one, not any other one. He accepted it. But we see from here that is not such a simple thing. At any rate, going to the, the question here of why Nadav and Avihu were actually deserved the penalty of death, so happens that the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karu, Alav Shalom, great, great, great man whose psakim have been accepted since uh, the beginning of the 16th century. Rabbi Yosef Karon wrote uh, the Shulchan Aruch, which is the psak halakha uh, on everything that we have nowadays. And uh, uh, of course, there was the drama, uh, Rabbi Moshe Israelis, who added I some uh, uh, additions there for the Ashkenazim. But basically, it's been accepted by everyone. It was monumental work. Before that, he wrote the Bet Yosef, which is a perush on the tour. Afterwards, he wrote the Mishneh Kesef on, on, uh, <coughs> on the Rambam. And at any rate, until today, he's still considered the authority on Jewish law. So when, uh, when Rabbi Yosef Karo Shalom was writing the Shulchan Aruch, the Magid was coming to him very frequently, a Magid, like a Malach coming to him, and he would review the Halakha with him, and he would agree with him. At one point, he asked him, Rabbi Yosef Karo asked him, why were Nadav and Avio deserving of death? And he answered, he said, the Hachamim say 10 different reasons. What does that mean? It means when you have so many reasons like that, that means there's really no specific reason why. It's not very clear. And were great tzaddikim. We mentioned their death, you know when? On Yom Kippur. 
And the Midrash says, Kol ha-morid demaot, anyone that cries with tears while reciting on Yom Kippur the death of Nadav and Abihu, muftah lo, is promises, guaranteed, shilo yir'eh mitat banav beyamav, he will not see the death of his children in his lifetime. That's how great they were. So, what I want to concentrate on now is, and the reason that the Torah expressly tells us, it says, "Behakrivam esh zara, vayakrivu lefnei Hashem esh zara, asher lotziva ota." Very simple. It says, "You know why? Because they brought in a foreign fire, asher lotziva ota, which they were not." commanded by HaKadosh Baruch Hu or Moshe Rabbeinu to do. Something foreign. This is a very fundamental principle in our religion. We cannot bring anything foreign into the religion. The Torah is the opposite of science. Whether you're talking about chemistry or physics, or medicine, or engineering, any other disciplines. All these, they thrive on new developments, new inventions, new discoveries. The Torah is the opposite. We are looking up to our teachers, to our forefathers, all the way up to Hasinai. Hasinai, as Moshe Rabbeinu received all the Torah, and the Torah keeps going down to us, we look up, not in the new future, not new things. We want to follow the traditions and the psakim of the Shulchan Aruch and the Rambam. We want to follow what it says in the Gemara, the pure Torah, that we must keep it pure. Moshe kibel Torah misinai umsara leoshua. Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah, he didn't give it as untana umsara. He gave it over, meaning that he transmitted faithfully whatever he received. And so on from Yeshua to the Zekinim, Zekinim and Behem, so on down till now. It is something, it's like a heirloom that you've gotten from a great grandfather passing down the line. You keep it all the time and treasure it, but you don't change it. Not one iota of it. This is what they did was Nadav Avihu. They brought in something that was foreign, which was not commanded by HaKadosh Baruch You know, it says like this. In Malachi, Malachi Perek Bet. It says, Ki sifte kohen da'at. At the time, the early, uh, the early time of our religion, the Kohanim were the ones they were teaching the people. People were going asking the the things from the halachic questions from the Kohanim. Then it says, Hashem Ah. This is Malachi. The Navi said, you know what? Is that like Malach Hashem? The Kohen like Malachi Hashem. What does that mean, Malach Hashem? 
A Kohen is a human being. What do we mean by Malach Hashem Tzavahotu? Well, one, one pshat is a Malach, when Hashem gives him an instruction to go ahead and do certain task, he does not look right or left, up or down. He goes straight at it, just like a robot. And he does exactly what Hashem is telling him. No deviation whatsoever. The Kohanim in their Avodah, they had to be like that. No deviation. You can't. In the Beit HaMikdash, you can't. Every halacha must be adhered to very, very closely. What Rabbutai? Nowadays, we don't have the Beit HaMikdash. You know what? We are all Mamlechet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. We, nowadays, despite the fact we don't have the Beit HaMikdash, we have to follow the same route. Whatever our Hachamim tell us, that's what we follow. We follow them to the T. You know, it's a short Maaseh uh, about the, uh, a certain town called the town of Papunia. Papunia, we talk about it. In this town, a rabbi came, and it was before Pesach. Now, before Pesach, they were baking matzah. Now, when you bake matzah, you use flour and water. But you cannot take fresh water. Fresh water is sharp, harif. Perhaps it might uh, make the flour hametz. What do you do? You take water from the day before, and you let it stay overnight until it calms down and becomes set and, and, and not sharp any longer. And that is what you use to mix the flour in order to make the matzah. So this new rabbi came and he told to the audience over there, you cannot bake matzah unless you use mayim shilanu. Mayim shilanu. Okay? What happened next morning is a whole line of people, each one with a pail, empty pail, standing over there by the door of the rabbi. And the rabbi says, what, what's this? Why are you standing over here? So why you told us Mayim Shilanu? Now, the word Shilanu means two things. Could be Shilanu, our water. Shili, Shilcha, Shilo, Shilanu. Or it could mean Mayim Shilanu, meaning water that stayed overnight. They thought that what Mayim Shilanu means, our water, meaning the rabbi's water. So they came with pills waiting for the rabbi to give him his water. I told him, no, no, that's not what I mean. I mean is Mayim Shilanud. You can take the water from any spring as long as it stays overnight. Look, Rabbutai, to what extent these people want in order to do, to dictate of the rabbi. They thought it was his water. They came in with empty pails to get the water. We have to follow. If we have psakim, 
או שולחן ערוך, או לפסקים, או לגרייט פוסקים. ודא אצל חכם עובדיה יוסף עליו השלום, ורבי משה פיינסי עליו השלום, we follow them. We don't argue with them, we follow them. And this is, uh, it's been going like this all the time. We have no choice. You know, an interesting incident that happened in November of 1983. You know, the Torah tells us that the simmanim for a kosher animal are, it has to have split hoofs, and it has to chew its cud. Ma'alat gera. Ma'alat gera. Chew the cud. These are the two simmanim of an animal. And then the Torah, of course, tells us which ones. There are four of them that the Torah tells us, which do not, they have one siman, but not the other. So the camel, for example. The camel, you know, and the shafan, the, 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 the hare, uh, arnebet, that's the hyrax. Uh, these two are almost the same, but they, they're the same size, but they're slightly different. Uh, and and, uh, uh, and and the hazir, of course, uh, the pig, which is uh, even though uh, it has uh, split hoofs, but it does not ruminate. The other three, they do ruminate, but they don't have split hoofs. So in November of 1983, there was a an Associated Press uh, bulletin there, which. Uh, they made sensational news in the entire world. What happened? They found a certain pig-like animal. It's called the babirusa. And this animal, the babirusa, grows in Indonesia. It looks like a pig in every way. It's a little bigger. It has split hoofs. Pigs, all pigs, have, they have split hoofs too. However, they said, well, there is an extra stomach. And with that extra stomach, they, these particular animals, they chew its cud. <laughs> it, may, it is great news all over the world, in, in Eretz Israel especially. And this is not only for the Jews, but, you know, there's uh, the Jews, maybe 14, 15 million people in the world, but you got uh, 1 billion Muslims that don't eat pig. So if the Jews are going to eat this, obviously they will eat it. They, they eat kosher food. As far as they're concerned, kosher food is better than halal food. I recall when the king of Saudi Arabia during, I believe it was President Reagan, he came to visit in Washington, and uh, the president wanted to make a, a banquet for him. So he asked him, what kind of food uh, would you like me to bring? At that time, even halal food was not available. So he said to him, bring me kosher food only. You know, he, <laughs> he was taken aback. In those days, you know, the enmity of Saudi Arabia towards Israel was extremely strong, and he knew it. Bring me kosher food. Well, instead of telling me, no, has to have shahita, you know, their shahita is not like ours, but still have shahita, and make sure the pig isn't there, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. You know, bring me kosher food, and that's the end. That was very simple. So this would be great. 
But as it came out later on, it was not, that was not right. Because Hachamim came, our Hachamim, they brought their own scientists with them and biologists. And they looked at every single piece of that animal. They decided, no, this does not conform to the simanim that the Torah gives us. He had two stomachs, yes, but the way he was chewing the cud was drastically different from the way the sheep and the cow chew their cud. It's different. No good. Another thing, something that we haven't eaten by tradition for a very, very, very long time, uh, we don't eat it. Hey, for example, the giraffe is a kosher animal in the fact that it has the two simanim. It chews its cud. It has split hooves. We don't eat it, not because some people think, because we don't know where the shech did that. That is not a real reason. The reason because it, by tradition, we never ate the giraffe, and we're not going to eat it now. It's very, very important. And if you look at these four, um, uh, four animals that the Torah brings, <coughs> especially the first three that chew their cud, but they don't have split hooves. On the first one, the camel says, Kimafris parsahu, in the present tense. Mafris parsa, in other words, that's the way it's in the present. On the second one, which is the Shafan, it says, Ufarsa loyafris, in the future. And when you talk about the Arnevet, it says, Farsa lohifrisa, in the past. In the past. So we have the past, the present, and the future. The Torah is telling us that these animals never had split hooves in the past. They don't have it today, and they're not going to have it in the future either. They definitely are out of this. You can't possibly use them. These are animals that are temeim. So, Rabotai, when it comes to kashrut, when, you, when we say vehemat temeah, it means that. It's not kosher in the sense that not because it is tamer, it has tum'ah on it. That's not the reason. It's not because it has tum'ah. It's unclean. Not, not kosher for us to eat. But not necessarily because it, is, it has tum'ah on it. It may not have tum'ah. But we can't eat it. It's unclean. We, Rabutai, the main theme of what I'm saying now is Nadav and Avihu brought something foreign which Hashem did not command. And that's a very, very important thing that we should remember. We don't bring foreign element into Hasve Shalom, our Torah, or our Mizvot. We don't add or subtract any. We don't do anything. Asher Lot Siva Hashem. If it's not commanded by Akadushwarhu and explained by our rabbis then we don't do it. That is the lesson for today. So Rabbi just before I finish, I remind you again, this great station, if you can help, please do so. And we do have a beautiful hall. If you have any simha, 
please look us up. Come, we'll be happy to accommodate you. Shavua Tov, Iskula Miswot.